0: Belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for February 12th, 2023 is called The Big Picture. The teacher is John Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia, and Fayetteville, Arkansas. Thanks everybody for being here this morning. Um, for those of you on the podcast, listening on the podcast, watching on the live stream, my name is John Ray. Welcome to Grace Church. Um, I have had a packed week plus. Missed y'all last Sunday. Um, I spent a week in Los Angeles um, with a good friend who is the pastor of a historically Japanese church, but that is transitioning Uh, in this time to a multi-ethnic congregation. And for those of you who know your church history and your geography, this church, Union Church, is bordered on one side by Azusa Street, which was where the foundation of the modern Pentecostal charismatic movement in the U.S. started, which is now the fastest-growing branch of Christianity in the world with that. Uh, Behind it is Little Tokyo, which has a um, history of racism against it. The, the, the internment of the Japanese during World War II devastated the area, and the area was um, has, has suffered a lot of persecution over its history there. And then, <coughs> excuse me, the borderline in, in front of the church starts the 50-square block area known as Skid Row. Where it is estimated that eight to twelve thousand unhoused people um, live without housing in that fifty-block area at any any given time, and so this church sits at the confluence of these incredible streams of history and humanity and the the spirit of God moving and. And uh, it's, it's like it's the center of this vortex there. And as I was thinking about it, as I would spend the time, the 15 minutes walking from where I was staying to the church, through Skid Row, and then by the through the Japanese community and along Azusa Street, I was thinking about this text that we have this morning. I was thinking about how being viscerally reminded of the complexity of the world that we live in is addressed in what we see in Scripture. But maybe not necessarily in the way that we think with this. And so as I said earlier, there's no, I, I don't want to, believe me, it's worthwhile to sit, and I hope all of you will read chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew this week. But to do so now would take away from what I'm hoping to do, which is give us more of a 30,000-foot view of this text with this. But I I do want to give a brief outline or a brief overview of what is contained within what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, a little bit of background. This probably, I hope this doesn't destroy anybody's image of the word of the Bible, but this probably wasn't a verbatim um, account of a single sermon. But the Sermon of the Mount, what it serves as is a compilation, almost a greatest hits, if you will, of the teachings of Jesus. The original compilers of the scripture under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, when they were recounting the life and ministry of Jesus and they thought, how do we put this into a narrative form? Let's take this this actual thing that he did. He actually preached a sermon on the mount in this place, as Matthew said. But let's put together the kind of the corpus of Jesus' teaching and put it in this setting. Luke does somewhat of a similar thing, which what he sets it what he, on a plane. Um, the chances are, and what I believe is that this was this was Jesus' back pocket sermon, so when Jane and I were traveling in the former Soviet Union, and those of any of you who have been on a mission trip and you show up at a church and and you come in as the American and they're they're often going to ask you to stand up and say something. so what you have to have you always have to have a back pocket sermon ready, like you have to be ready, right? On on a drop, like if somebody gets sick and you had to get up and preach, what would your sermon be? Everybody needs a back pocket sermon. I think this is Jesus' back pocket sermon. This is the one that he gave. This is the one that he hammered. This is the one that he honed. This is the one that he repeated time and time again, that this was Jesus' sermon.
1: This is what he was known for. And that makes it imperative that we know it, that we spend
0: time in it, that we hear it repeatedly, that we devote ourselves to it regularly with that. And so like I said, it's Matthew, it takes over three chapters, Matthews 5, 6, and 7, and it starts with the Beatitudes, which I alluded to as we started this, this series of nine blessings that y'all come on in is what it is. It starts with, y'all, come on in. And then it goes in to talk about salt and light, then the fulfillment of the law and the prophets about anger and murder and what happens and how to contextualize those and understand them. Then he puts adultery and divorce metaphorically and really, uh, and in reality, how how we're supposed to view those things. He goes on to talk about oaths, retaliation, love for our enemies, how we give with pure hearts, how we pray in private as a way of avoiding the hypocrisy of public posturing of prayer. Then he teaches in the middle, he teaches the disciples, he gives us, them, the prayer that we repeated. He gives us that. He goes on to talk about fasting and how those two things are are linked. We could spend a whole series of Sundays on how Prayer and fasting and then the next thing, not worrying, all are to be intertwined. He talks about lasting treasure. Where do we find it? He gives the instructions not to worry, not to judge. He gives the instructions that those are negatives. Don't do this, don't do that. And then he turns to the positive. Ask, seek, knock. The imperatives of what we need to do to seek through the narrow gate, that there is a way that we will be judged. We're not to be the ones judging, but there is a way that we will be judged, and that's by our fruit. That's by the result of, not by our doctrine, not by our theology, not by how we, we understand things, but how we live is how we'll be judged. And he talks about that in the context of those who think they're in the right, but are just actually pretenders and those who are actually right. And then he ends with this admonishment. The admonishment that that if we could bookend the 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 sermon with this proclamation of blessing on one side, but then this admonition on the other side, don't just listen to this, do it. Don't just let this go in one ear, out the other. Don't just Think about this, but act on it, is how he wraps it up. And
1: the big idea here is that taken as a whole,
0: what we know as the Sermon on the Mount is a comprehensive, holistic framework for understanding Jesus and his kingdom, the kingdom that he ushers in and rules over. If you want to know Jesus, if we want to know Jesus, we need to know this sermon. We need to know what is going on here. What are the prohibitions? What are the invitations? What are the limits with it? So many of the problems in how Christians approach the world today boils down to our insistence on showing up as converters, as judges, as rulers, rather than as witnesses, as discerners, and as ministers. We push people for a confrontation to get them to change or to submit or to rule over them rather than with a mindset of compassion and generosity and hospitality that is demonstrated in this text. I was thinking about this in the context, you know, Alex has milestone uh, leadership and and he coaches people. And we've had long conversations about the difference between IQ and EQ. In the leadership, there's the IQ is your your intellect, your intellectual quotient. Is that Q is quotient, right? But EQ is emotional quotient. And I think what is happening here is we read this sermon so often as we do all of Scripture with our intellect, but not with our emotion. We shut off the emotional part. And as a result, it becomes toxic, tainted, We don't get it because we're just engaging one single part, important as it is. We're we're engaging this sole part of our faculty and leaving, suppressing this other major part of our understanding faculty, our emotions with it.
1: Y'all, this is an emotional sermon. It was received, I have to believe, it was received with intense emotion
0: that the listeners would have been turning to one another and looking to one another and
1: going, who is this man who speaks like this? Do you hear what he's saying? Do you understand
0: what this means? How could this be that it was emotionally received? Just just think about this for a minute. Think about if you were going to start your proclamation of the Gospels with blessed. Who is blessed? Think about who's not blessed here. Lots of stuff, right, that, that is here. It's, it's not blessed are the healthy. It's not blessed are you who woke up and had an Instagrammable breakfast. Not blessed are you who got the promotion, the job. Not blessed are you who are in that secure, loving relationship with another human being. Not blessed are you whose kids are perfect, getting perfect scores on their SATs and into good schools and making the sports team. None of that here is
1: prescribed as blessed. Just think about that for a minute. I'm in grief, hashtag blessed. That's not a post you see on social media. That's not the way the world defines it. I'm in my second year of deep depression, hashtag blessed. The things going on with my kids
0: are breaking my heart, hashtag blessed. We don't do that, right? We don't see that. That's not the way the world proclaims it. And that is what is so utterly revolutionary about this teaching. Jesus takes all those people to all those experiences, all those things that break our hearts. He says, it's okay, you're blessed, you're welcome. Come on in. Those things do not disqualify you, they do not diminish you.
1: do not, you're, you're no longer left out in the cold with them. Well, The
0: Ephesus, David Gushy says this, he says, Jesus lived by moral commands which he believed came from God and yet he never lost sight of the big picture. The reign of God, the deliverance of the oppressed, the priorities of justice, mercy, and love. And those are the things that we can never diminish. This is not doing away with the law. This is fulfilling the law. This is bringing that emotional intelligence, that heart the 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 turning of our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh to that thing with it. The question becomes how do we live into this? How do we reflect it? How do we bear witness to the kingdom of God that is among us?
1: I mean how do we understand this scripture in the wild? Like, like, y'all, I
0: I I get up here in the in the teaching teams and we take this book and we read these scriptures and we try to make sense of it, and then I read commentaries about it, and I listen to podcasts about it, and I study it, and I look at it in different languages, and I look at how different people have looked at it. But I want to know how do you live this? How do you encounter this in the wild? Not as a, not, how do we do it without killing it and dissecting it? Which is what we've been taught to do for hundreds of years in the Western church. It's take this scripture, kill it, dissect it, label it, put it on a wall, put it in a museum, and then go live your
1: real life. Y'all, this, this is supposed to be our real life. We need to encounter
0: this scripture in the wild, in the workplace, in the classroom, in the bedroom, in the kitchen, on the commute, in our politics. How do we encounter this scripture in the wild, in real life? How do we see it as a living, breathing, alive thing? not just a litany of doctrines or do's and don'ts.
1: How do we rehabilitate the good news so that it's good news
0: to the people that need it the most instead of just some
1: on the back to those who are already well off, who already have power, who already have position. I I don't know. I wish I could give you the answer. I don't know the answer. We've so
0: lost our way. When you look at this as the whole, when you look at this sermon as a whole, and you look at what Jesus is really saying you start to be, or at least I do, I won't say it, but I start to be so
1: overwhelmed with the thought of how wrong we've gotten it. Of how far we've missed the mark.
0: Of how we've just used our intellect, again, to kill and dissect it, instead of our emotional intelligence
1: to embrace it and love it. As we were talking in the
0: teaching team, Betty brought up again how how much of learning is actually unlearning. And this is particularly true when we come to a scripture that we're as familiar with as this. As we have a lot of unlearning to do about what this means so that we can learn what it really means is. We have to look at how this restores humanity and agency to God's people and to all people. About how it emphasizes that the truly ungodly things are the ways that we judge others and hate others and exclude others that those are the truly the things that we must be vigilant to avoid. That the things that we need to center our practices on and make sure that if we don't do anything else, we do these things, which is this radical hospitality and inclusion of those who have been excluded, oppressed, marginalized. Like we, we've we got to unlearn so much so that we can practice learning the way we do it. Jennifer talked this week about how, yes, and, and I alluded to it in the quote by, by David Gushy, yes, our actions are important, but it is the attitude that produces the actions that is going to make the difference. Yes, we do need rules. We do need guidelines. We do need practices. That, that sometimes are hard to do, to train us, but ultimately it is
1: our hearts that need to be changed. It is that part of us that needs to be saved.
0: And even if we don't get it, even if we don't fully get it, what it means, how to live it, we have to try. We must make it the forefront of our efforts and actions We must stop showing up as converters, judges, rulers, rather than as witnesses, discerners, and ministers. We must stop pushing for a confrontation or change, submission, victory, and instead practice everything with the mindset of compassion, generosity, hospitality that is embodied in this text, and indeed in the entire life, death, and resurrection of Jesus.
1: Now even though I don't fully know how to do this, I know that there are some ways to start. Um, In addition to
0: traveling out to the West Coast this past week, I came back and immediately jumped into a conference up in Bentonville of Wilderness Educators. Of, it's an association that trains and certifies the guides in outward bound and knolls and, and places like that and and it was a it was a great it was a blast from the past for me with you know having in a previous life been involved in that industry to come back into it and see how it's progressed after thirty years and and one of the things that struck me the most um about it was this idea of the necessity of reflection as a practice for those guiding people into the wilderness, guiding people on these adventures with that. Is that that's one thing that that, that may be taught to the participants, but the practitioners themselves rarely do it. And they talked about this one session which was particularly impactful Impacting to me where the instructor, she talked about how
1: um, we really, we just, we don't need more information. We need to reflect on the information we have.
0: We need to reflect on the experiences we have. But y'all, we're a, we're a society that's addicted to more information, right? How, how, how much information are you exposed to every day? How easy is it to pull out the phone, to scan the next scroll for the next headline, the next update, the next thing? We're just, we're constantly consuming information at a rate that does not
1: allow for reflection. So as a church, this is something that we need, we must develop the practice of. Reflection. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. But I want to guide us through I want to guide us through a little reflection here.
0: As we begin this new season with our table groups, we are going to be practicing that as our table groups as well. That each week in the learning guide you're going to see uh, kind of a format for reflection. You don't have to be in a table group to do this. We, we want you to be in a table fellowship, but but even on your personal level, if you go to the worship guide, you'll see this this form. And this is nothing new. This is nothing we've developed. This is something that's been practiced by the church for years.
1: But what I want what I want to ask you to do now is just close your eyes. Close your eyes and take a deep breath. And I want you to think about
0: something that has been said or experienced here today. I want you to think about those things that Bear witness to your spirit that encourage you, that enlighten you. Now maybe think about a time, something that was said that that didn't sit right, that actually felt like a confrontation, felt like it was in conflict and just just name that don't try to resolve it don't try to excuse it just name it admit that it's there and then finally as we bring our attention to the table here in a minute. What is what is the thing that you're asking God for right now? It's okay. It's okay to ask God for that. okay to admit that you have that need, that you have that desire. But what are you asking God for? At Grace, we start with this idea of belonging as an echo with what we find, the welcome we find in the Beatitudes of Jesus this practice is essential to becoming the types of people Jesus describes as salt and light, And it's through this that what we say, we believe, is both formed and informed. And we're going to take our communion a little differently this morning. Um, We're going to sing a song first, and then we're going to do communion. Because last time we took communion without Charlie, she was really upset. And I got to tell you, It convicted me. Because she was like, wait a minute, how come they took communion without us? How could you do that? Y'all, this is the centerpiece of this worship. It's not my words. It's not the sermon. This table is the center. If If we were to do away with everything but one thing, the one thing that would be left is the communion table. Because this is where Jesus meets us serves us and is served and yeah the kids need to be part of that so we're going to sing a song and then we're going to transition into that thank you for listening to grace church of northwest arkansas podcast you can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org
1: grace and peace